I am Mary Kay. And I'm Louise. And together we are Novel Gazing, the podcast that talks literary fiction. We are recording today's show on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. So, you know, if anything juicy happens between now and then and we haven't talked about it, that's why. (laughs) Um, On today's show, we're discussing current affairs and news from the literary fiction world the differences between literary and genre fiction, and also sharing our latest reads. But before all of that, let's hear from one of our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read, and I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads it's hot girl reading summer always over here and from the award-winning librettist of legally blonde the musical and the screenwriter of freaky friday heather hawk comes the page turning psychological thriller the trouble with drowning so when author eden hart floats into tucson's antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading cat a struggling writer can't help but compare herself Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so here's the one piece of news that we are all hearing the most about because we are all glued to all of our media Mm. about the pandemic virus that's happening around us. Um, We're hoping for the best. Everybody is pulling their weight. Um, In the meantime, while we're all kind of sequestered, which I don't know what it's going to be like by the time this episode comes out but right now i'm like not leaving the house Uh uh-huh 
for my own safety and the safety of others. And um, I am, of course, on Twitter constantly because it's like, I guess I'll take a break. I guess I'll get on Twitter because I'm like in my house, you know. So uh, one of the things that I came across is um, this article from Electric Literature about what it's like to try to promote a book in the middle of a pandemic. Awkward. Um, is that is that just the summation of it? Just I one think word? Awkward. It is awkward and depressing and and making a lot of authors feel selfish for caring about how well their book is doing, which I don't think is totally fair because many things can be true. Like it's just so hard at the moment, isn't it? Just trying to figure out like where your priorities should be and what they should be. Yeah. It's well, what did you think about the article? Well, I thought it was really relevant. Like we, we are in, um, unknown times slightly at the moment aren't we and you think of all the everyday things particularly in the uh the world of literature that go on and go on every single day Mm -hmm. you kind of think actually everything is changing and everything Mm -hmm. is suddenly very different and yet we don't know what that new difference will be Mm -hmm. so yeah it's 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 an interesting one and I feel for you if this is your debut week or you know Mm because these books have been worked on for years and years and years in many cases and then it's a very complicated space to try and navigate I think yeah especially because we don't know how long we need to hold off doing a lot of social activity or any social activity so I kind of understand why businesses are like Let's not postpone anything until we have to. Exactly. But I think, and I get both sides of that, but it is just a bummer all around. Basically. It is. <laughs> um, it is. There's no other way to say it. Yeah, because you can't win. Mm. Like, no matter what, per- like, you can't, one way or the other, you're losing. So, um, one thing that I did notice both in this article and then also on my quote unquote breaks of Twitter. <laughs> um, is that a lot of authors are kind of doing like gra I don't want to say grassroots that's the wrong word but like mm, very much like DIY promotion so yeah uh posting like hey my book is coming out you know March 24th or whatever uh but no one's going to like book tours are being canceled um and all of that so they'll be like if your book is being affected by this subtweet it and we'll promote it and buy it and all that which I think is really yeah. nice um, but I can't imagine it is as effective as some of these more wide scale uh, marketing opportunities but still it's like we're you know trying to hold it down seems like everybody is helping each other still a bummer <laughs> it's like finding the steps of being proactive right. and it's finding a way to gain some sort of control I think in this vast unknown circumstance and Mm -hmm. even if it's just tweeting or sharing or and these as you say these DIY um, initiatives almost it's amazing what people can do under the circumstances Mm -hmm. and what they can come together with and what they can um, uh, the collective spirit I think is kind of lovely in a way that people all bond together and go look we are all doing this for the greater good, so to speak. Apart from right. everyone who's hoarding toilet rolls, you you are not. <laughs> what well, hoarding 
Hoarding toilet paper? Toilet rolls. Uh, loo rolls? Nope, I'm not hoarding them. No. And I brought one package because I am a normal person. Exactly. Who poops a normal amount. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but to, I mean, to be fair, some people do it more. I don't know. Mm. Hey. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it's... it's it's interesting to see the collective spirit that's getting together, but equally, you know, I do think there's going to be some mad number crunching in, say, mm-hmm. six, nine months where people have to deal with the impact of what this has been. Yeah. You know, financially, business-wise, and the amount of um, businesses and people that it's going to impact on the way. I have a lot of sympathy for anyone who's caught up in that pattern. Yeah, and I think on a long enough timeline, it does affect everyone. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, um, But speaking of business, uh, your <gasps> yes. article that we're talking about today is from the Harvard Business Review. Tell us about it. Yeah, so I used to work in a business school library, which was a really interesting um, experience in that you got to see a very specific type of literature. And one of the really common themes was, and this is the article that I... Um, picked out to talk about was the case for reading fiction mm-hmm. and that this idea that reading um something makes you a better person in that particular way mm-hmm. you know for example you can gain um increased empathy increased cultural awareness uh increased sensitivity etc etc um and i yeah i i wanted to throw it out and go what do you think of that like it speaks a lot it's it's something that I've never quite come to terms with but I can see the relevance of it but equally then I think of you know like being at school and thinking well I don't want to read what you tell me to read I want to find my own I want to find my own way mm-hmm. I really loved this article because okay. I it starts off by saying um, that several CEOs recommend reading every day. Yes. Um, which surprised me a little bit until I realized that they were reading nonfiction only. Yeah. Um, and that made a lot of sense to me. And I loved also how the author said, um, that's very good. Don't not do that. But it is not the same to read for gathering information as it is to read for the story of something and yeah and I, I loved how um and I as I as I was reading it I was realizing that this is responsible I think for a lot of people's emotional intelligence like literary fiction specifically oh yeah because it makes you consider situations you've never been in or situations you have been in but from a different perspective um and I, I think that that merit is somewhat lost on people who don't value emotional intelligence. I can see that. So I don't really know what the point of me saying that was, except for that it's something that I noticed when I was reading it, because to kind of refer back to one of our former episodes where it said, like, men read typically nonfiction and women read typically fiction. Um, There's definitely merit in doing both and it shouldn't be a gendered 
experience, I don't think. Like, all right. I think that it's important to know facts, but it's also important to feel things. Like, I think both of those have their place. So, like, if you're in the workplace, say, and you had some sort of um, working-based problem, Mm -hmm. and your manager came up to you and said, here is um, the bridge... Oh, let's... Oh, I was going to say the bridge to Terabithia, but that's a really (laughs) traumatic thing to be presented with in this fictional scenario. Uh, (laughs) Here's a copy of a book that I read, and I think it will help you out of your problem. What would mm-hmm. you say? Like, how would you deal with that? If they gave me a fictional book yeah. to read? Yeah. Uh, uh, like, what would I say? It depends on the book, probably. Um, and who is giving it to me. Right. If it was somebody that I trusted their taste, I would be like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Or, thank you. thank you that's so kind but you know if it's your boss you kind of have to do it even if you disagree with it you you read it and then you have your opinions about it and the worst thing it could do is make you more sure of where you were to begin with right Uh uh-huh you see now i don't think i'd be that um that considered in my response let's say like i think it would just be more of a well that's great that you presented me with this reading but can (laughs) we can we resolve this problem as well yeah true yeah i get that too it might be a little condescending yeah i think what was really interesting to me as well in like with um the experience of working with the business school and the business um library books is that there was this really big trend for summarizing key readings so like for example you'd say um oh, here is this article, uh, maybe of 10 pages. Here's the five-paragraph summary mm-hmm. of it. And I thought that was really interesting in drawing that distinction um, in the actually reading the actual book, like doing the work, right? gets you this result and gets you this um, increase, you know, empathy and so on, so on and so forth, rather than trying to get, like, the easy win. Totally. And Mm. I'm glad you said that because I had forgotten this article mentions like plot. Doesn't it talk about plot versus like overall, like the work that goes into making the plot? Like, yeah, it's, I mean, anytime you read the back of the book, it's like, and then you read the book, it almost never does it justice. And I'm not critiquing that style of writing. Mm-hmm. It's just an, like you said, oversimplified version or really, really like spruced up version to get you to buy the book, you know? Yeah. Um, and, it, and it leaves out a lot of the nuance and the more important parts of the book. Like, remember that Twitter trend a while back that was, um, was it summarize a movie plot badly? <gasps> oh. It's like. That's what, to me, reading for just plot does. Okay. I think my favorite one was, like, privileged son inherits father's very successful business but doesn't want to. And it's the godfather. Like, Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's, right? It's like... 
<laughs> it's like the best movie of all time, and then we just flattened it out. So I, hey, I kind just of feel really bad about reading plot summaries. Like I would get frustrated even as a student when someone was like, "Well, I know how it ends." It's like, well, okay, but you didn't do any of the work to get there. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's like, that's great, but it means nothing to you how it ends. Right. Like, you know the technicalities of it. Right. But, you know, so-and-so may get stabbed in the Roman Senate, but it will mean nothing to you at mm-hmm. that point. The emotional quality, the value of it, the journey. Totally. Yeah. All right. Shall we leave that <laughs> one there? I was like, now, you know, read the book, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I agree. Read the book. So before we talk about the bulk of our episode today, we'd like to hear a word from our sponsors who make this all possible. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle. Walk, Ride, Paddle is a captivating memoir of Senator Tim Kaine's physical journey through the Virginia wilderness, but it is also a unique and ultimately optimistic perspective on these pivotal moments in history, offering inspiration, wisdom, and hope. With immediacy and honesty, Kane pulls back the curtain to reveal his inner thoughts during such monumental times. And Kane's storytelling gift and wise observations offer a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a seasoned politician and outdoor enthusiast. Walk, Ride, Paddle is available everywhere audiobooks are sold on April 9th. It is narrated and written by Tim Kaine, Virginia Senator and former Democratic vice presidential candidate. It's a compelling account of one man's journey across hundreds of miles of Virginia wilderness and a moving testament to the optimistic spirit of America. So make sure to check out Walk, Ride, Paddle by Tim Kaine. And thanks again to Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international best-selling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and Series, from Chloe Walsh. So Tom and's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tom and Series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon-worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today, and it's the fifth book in the series, so make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. All right, so let's introduce today's talking point, which is the idea of literary fiction versus genre fiction. And it's something that came up quite a lot in the uh, planning for these episodes, figuring out what we wanted to talk about, Mm -hmm. in that a lot of people talk about this and a lot of people have this kind of conviction that one is better than the other, that Mm -hmm. they maybe don't know like what the other one is, that there's this kind of... Um, smackdown going on between these two forms of literature and you need to pick a side so if you were going to pick a side Mary Kate um, and let me emphasize that you do not need to at this point you can go no Uh, where would you go (laughs) where would I play like which Mm. which side would I fall down on yeah yeah 
Uh, literary fiction, for sure. Okay. So you read a lot of genre, though. So why is that pulling you towards literary fiction? Well, I think that the what sets genre fiction apart is a literary element. Okay. So um, I find myself often disappointed with, with a lot of the works that I read in quote-unquote genre fiction because they don't make me feel a whole lot. Right. Um, or they don't make me think outside of the text a whole lot. I'm just reading kind of like what we were saying before. I'm just kind of reading to be entertained, like reading yeah. for plot points, not really invested in many of the characters. Um, I will say, because I do read a lot of horror in the horror, I mean, horror genre, uh-huh. um, the thing that sets that genre apart for me from other genre writings, like uh, don't even come at me with a romantic like don't I can't like I've been bored with them since seventh grade (laughs) but anyway um and again that's just my personal preference it doesn't make it bad or wrong it's just what I like better um I do think that some of what sets the horror genre apart is like a new way to scare someone which is interesting that's interesting yeah so even if you don't care about those characters you care about the monster or whatever is happening at them so I do think that I would fall on the side of literary fiction, though, especially as someone who has studied literary fiction, because I think that that set me up to notice all of the really interesting new um, uh, style or craft or um, inversion of tropes or whatever that's happening. Mm -hmm. So I like that a lot, but I also think it depends on what you are reading for. Yes. So this is um like uh we're touching here on like reader response theory, are we essentially? Yeah. <laughs> Where um you have this idea that if you read a book, you read it in certain modes, in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Uh for example, um if you're reading a picture book to a kid at bedtime, you perhaps read that in a different way than you read uh, a recipe book mm-hmm. or a different um you read to get certain information at certain points. So I think with literary fiction, you do have that awareness that you're reading something that is deliberately trying to find that resonance in your life mm-hmm. and to find that like emotional value. But um, also, before we go any further, if you're thinking, oh, this is great, but I'm very patchy on what literary fiction actually is, mm-hmm. we talk about this in our episode zero. So go and hunt that one out. Uh, and we won't retread it here, but we'll just sort of signpost okay. you that way. Yeah. I think that's a good call. It's a short episode, too. So Bite um, size. I think it was called, like, literary fiction in two words or less or something like that. Mm. <laughs> two minutes or less, that's what it was. Yeah. But, yeah, so how would you define, like, genre fiction, then? Well, that's a good question. What do you think? What do you think So. I think, right, because I was reading about whether literary fiction could be considered a genre, so to speak, itself. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, um, genre is, is this very flexible idea of the characteristics of a story, right? Yeah. And if they all adopt the similar characteristics, they all fall into a similar genre. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, children's books aren't a genre, right. but a romance book is, or a... Um, uh, our Duma lit, as we were talking about in the last right. episode, is, and I can say that now without laughing, which is a step in the right direction. Um, our, uh, 
epic poetry, something very specific, the characteristics of it grouping together and creating this recognisable group of texts. That's genre for me. And it can be something incredibly specific, um, mm-hmm. post-colonial, empire, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be that. But literary fiction, for me, has this much wider umbrella, almost. Mm-hmm. Um in that it can be that as well, but it can also have a much more um, textured resonance in your lives, in your existence. Um, And so I think the best recommendation for that, for me at the moment, is I bought a collection of Cynthia Voigt novels from uh, the Secondhand Bookshop the other day. And they are sort of technically young adult Technically, uh, if you're going to class them as a genre, there are probably coming-of-age novels, uh, Buildings, Roman, and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are so literary in tone and feel and the questions that they ask. They reach really into this kind of magical, um, otherworldly place. Mm-hmm. So in that case, it's not like a them or us or, you know, it's an either or. It's a kind of everything. Yeah. I agree. Like, the more you were talking about it, the more I agreed with you. Um, And that's kind of why I wanted you to go first, because I was having a hard time conceptualizing that. But it definitely does feel like these genres are very subjective, and that it's more of like a continuing, ongoing Venn diagram situation where, like, you can be more than one thing i've never like wedded to this things can be just one thing or the other right and i think reading literary fiction helps us develop that sense of like gray area right i think not not to retread too much but i think that's one quality of literary fiction is that it is somewhat reflective versus it focuses more on like the why and how than the what is happening I love your idea about like the grey area Mm -hmm. like it's that bit that's almost misty that we can't quite pin down but we know that is is in everything and everywhere right yeah so I think that I mean I definitely think for me that different books have different motivations and readers have different motivations in reading uh, whatever book they're reading like Sometimes I want a book that will turn my brain off. Like, it's fun. Yeah. And it's easy. And it doesn't make me contemplate my own existence. Like, sometimes <laughs> I want that. And there's nothing wrong, I don't think, with wanting that or enjoying that. But, like, you don't want it every single time. No, most of the time I, get I that, don't. Yeah. And as I'm reading it, I am frustrated because it's not making me think. Like, it's like watching tv to me which also i mean depending on the tv show that i feel like that exists in literary there can be literary tv yep i said it this ah, is the hill no, this that is i good died. do it do it <laughs> i mean breaking bad is a masterpiece y'all like huh. i don't know what to tell you it's genius <laughs> so yeah i think it just depends that's really frustrating and I know that some of the feedback we get is like they should be more definitive they should say what they like they should know more things and that's like not really what literary fiction yeah, is about yeah I think you have it's to acknowledge that about drawing that line in the sand yeah 
the, there is is there sand is there a line right what is like, sand what is the line <laughs> <laughs> what is a line <laughs> uh but to your point here in our outline it does sound snobby of me to be like this is not really literature and i think it is subjective but also I've kind of accepted that and made peace with it and moved on with my life that I'm a little bit of a snob when it comes to books. <laughs> you see, now I don't, I don't mind that in a in a way. Like yeah. if you know, if you have that conscious decision of, oh, I don't know, this works for you, this doesn't work for you, and you're cool with that. I worry sometimes that people can get very much like, I want to um, follow the zeitgeist. I want to read the mm-hmm. current new brand thing. And it's like, no, you, no, um, <laughs> just no. Um, i sorry, I got very northern then. Um, I liked it. <laughs> I really it's when, you know, the it. passion kicks in. Um, it's just follow your own vibe and your own path. And if you have specific things that, um, so to speak, float your boat, uh, mm-hmm. go ahead and float it, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's things that I don't necessarily look at in the bookshop in the bookshop that much Mm -hmm. or that I don't necessarily pick up on the library I'm not great on crime for example because um I will read two or three chapters in it and at the end they'll be like oh so and so did it and I will barely remember the name of like anyone who's been in that book because I just don't like crime fiction like thrillers yeah got it Yeah. yeah They can be like, oh, uh, Mr. Smith did it and he's been the criminal since day one. You should have spotted all these clues. And yeah. I'm like, look, really, it's it's a book, isn't it? Yeah, I feel that way somewhat about a lot of noir as well. Because okay. it's like, I don't know. Like, I know a lot of people really like that sort of hard-boiled detective but for me, it's like I like to. I mean, I can't distinguish between the characters because, number one, they do have names like Mister Smith a lot of the time, uh, uh, which we talked about before. Like I don't, and I'm not good at that. But um, the other thing is like I don't know how they feel or what their personalities are. I just kind of know facts about them. So that's, and for yeah, me, it, that is it puts me outside of the text and makes me not care about it. I can see that for sure. Like, you don't have that point of attachment, do you? You don't have that Mm -hmm. point of, like, registering some emotional connection between you and that relatively um, two-dimensional other at that point. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like I'm a pretty sympathetic or empathetic person in life. Like, whenever somebody does something terrible... Um, I always try to think like, okay, why would they do that? Like, why? Yeah. What would not like not like why would you do that? But like, <laughs> what what was the thought process that went behind that decision? And yeah. even though it made me mad or sad or whatever, to say like they probably didn't mean for that to be the outcome. Like that probably wasn't their intention. Does it make okay, it okay? Yeah. But you know what I mean, right? Where it's like, I try to consider other perspectives, but I don't do that in books so much. I, which is weird, because I do it in life, <laughs> but I don't do it for characters nearly as much. Yeah, I think the key thing is, right, that you can have that 
familiarity and that comfort point but also be aware that every now and then it doesn't do any harm to like fall out of it Mm. and to like find another perspective and this is where something like and I know this will seem awfully self-referential but the book riot like the challenges Mm -hmm. where they say oh if can you read an author by Mm -hmm. like um a book before so and so or a book by a woman or a book by um something you know these certain characteristics those challenges can be really helpful in pushing you past your patterns yes that's true and making you find somewhere new (laughs) louise you're such a good person i had a diametrically (laughs) opposed reaction when i saw the list i was like (gasps) Got it, got it, got it. I'm never doing that. Never, never. Like, I was like, going down the list, like, <laughs> sorting them out. Because I was like, oh, I want to be, you know, supportive of everything. But I do think it helps us get out of our comfort zone. However, yeah. if I have tried it twice, which is, you have to try everything twice, right? Because the first yep. time could be a fluke, good or bad. Mm-hmm. That's, I feel like that's by due diligence. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's it, isn't it? You've tried it. That's like, it's, it's. It's what I ask people that like I teach and, and, and talk to is, you know, you try it and you come to a considered opinion. Right. But if you just look at it and you're like, I don't like it because it's it's purple. Right. Like, my dude, no. <laughs> <laughs> just no. Right. You got to try things before you can be Ron Swanson and be like, I know what I'm about, son. <laughs> you got to know things before you decide. You, I got to read the book gotta know yeah so why do you think it is that we put literary fiction on a pedestal because we do right like i for sure do yeah i think it's like cultural um in that we have this idea of reading being this aspirational like pyramid sort Mm. of model in that you start with your kids books and then you're told to um read up and read to more complicated Uh, more difficult more elaborate stories as you get older Mm -hmm. Uh, and like where do we go once we've figured out literacy right we go push towards literary fiction uh, which is you know meant to be the special ultimate goal of literature but for years like I couldn't bear it and I couldn't be remotely bothered with finding this mythic goal that someone else had told me oh, it's going to be really good for you. Because I'm like, you know, I think I'm doing all right so far. Mm -hmm. And then you think, all right, well, maybe I should find this and understand it on my own terms and my own um, choices. And then you start to think, well, actually, there is something here, but it's not because someone else has told me that it's here and told me what to find. Mm -hmm. It's about, like, finding it on um, uh, on my own terms, in a sense. Okay. Let me think about that for a second. Because I don't think you're wrong, but I do think that I come at it from a different perspective. (gasps) Different angles are good. Okay, good. I'm glad you think that. (laughs) Because, and this is an unpopular opinion, I don't understand the fascination with young adult literature. I just don't get it. I don't know. I don't know why. And I know that that is controversial. Sorry? I'm giving you a dramatic ooh. Oh, thank you. I love drama. (laughs) I love other people's drama. Let me be clear. I'm very helpful. (laughs) I just... (laughs) Thank you. Um, But I've just... 
like even when I was a young adult, I remember being like, but shouldn't I be challenging myself? And I think that probably says more about me than it does the the non-genre of, you know, age appropriateness. But I do remember like getting frustrated when things were too easy. Like when it was just like moving along. I was like, yeah. this is not challenging me. And I'm really competitive by nature, so I think that could be the case, which is a weird thing to be, compete with, is like, his comp- which art is the best? Okay. Like, <laughs> you know? Um, in one corner, Picasso. In the other, Degas. Fight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I do think that, that... I think I do believe that literary fiction is better. Like... Because that's where I put my value. Right. So if, if, for example, someone didn't have the same values on reading as I did, it would make sense that they would be like, no, it's not better. I mean, just mm-hmm. like with anything. Right? Like, it's better for me because that's what where I'm aspiring to go. Yeah. But also, you know, on the other hand, I have gotten so frustrated when books will unnecessarily use synonyms that make it less accessible. <laughs> I really have put down books before because I was like, this is ridiculous. You're just trying to isolate everyone else. Like, why? Like, there's got to be, I don't know. I know that this yeah. is largely subjective and we're kind of arguing moot points, but... Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I'm here. If people can answer that, like, why is language often this really? Why is language? <laughs> in the question. Why is language? <laughs> yeah, just we'll end it there. Why is language? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but I definitely, I, I do value literary fiction more, and I think that I value it even more when it can adopt another genre into it. Because yes. that is so versatile, and it it uh, is like a gateway either way, right? Like, mm. when I realized that a lot of the literary fiction that I loved, like Cormac McCarthy, for example, was also horror, I was like, maybe I'll also like horror. So, and then I, th- it was. So, like, I think that, you know, bridging the gap between literary fiction and genre fiction is not a bad thing at all. There is no gap. It is You're all right. fiction. It is all readable. You're right. Don't like pit things right. against each other. Don't make the books fight for your love. Yeah. Just read the books. There's room at the top. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, there is no gap is the name of our band. Mm, our first single. <laughs> why, our first single. Why is language? Love it. Yes. <laughs> Done. The end. <laughs> Okay, what are you reading now, Louise? Right, okay, so I am going through a phase of getting some amazing um, holds in from the library. You know when you're like number 302 on the reservation list and I am now number one and I am reading The Other Americans by Leila Lalami, which is lovely, really eloquently written. Okay. Uh, it's a, I'm only about halfway through it so far and it's all about like uh, an American neighbourhood uh, there is a death that's occurred and it's all about the people that that affects and impacts 
and it touches on uh, immigrant culture, um, how to uh, exist in uh, American society. And it's really interesting reading it from um, a clearly external perspective Mm. because sort of tying with the Cynthia Voigt stuff that I'm reading, I've been really reflecting on like how I first came to uh, read about like American culture in literature. Mm. And this has been a really um, useful and vital part. It's so beautifully written. So yeah, I really recommend it. But do note that it could be awful in the last 50%. I haven't got there yet. (laughs) Uh, But the first 50% is gorgeous. Is it fiction? Yes. Would you consider it literary? Yes, immensely so. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. That sounds cool. All um, right, and what was... about yourself? Oh, okay. Um, I am reading Grady Hendrix's next book, The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, which comes out uh, at the beginning of April. I am enjoying it a lot. It is both fun and full of references to vampire culture, which I really enjoy, and southern culture, which I really enjoy. (laughs) So it's fun, and I I think that it's... I would say that it's a horror genre novel, but it's so smart. It might not be literary, but it's super smart. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. Like, it's very self-aware. Like, at one point, the protagonist is like, okay, he's not a vampire, that's stupid. Like, it's, it's like, very <laughs> much like, that's impossible, that's not what's happening. But, I mean, if you've read, if listeners, y'all have read any other Grady Hendrix, like, it, it definitely comes with the, I don't want to say gore, because it's not exactly gore. I mean, it is gore, but it's just such unique descriptions of gross <laughs> well I think you just named our second single which what is it unique descriptions of gross yeah <laughs> I love it <laughs> the album it, it's coming soon just stay tuned right stay tuned maybe that's the music that will like tune up like <laughs> bring us in and out of the episodes oh that's amazing <laughs> just kidding I'm not a musician at all so that I'm, I'm straight up lying <laughs> Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah, I definitely recommend that one, too. It It is, I, I don't want to say, like, it's a quick read because it is long, but it does kind of go, move at a clip, you know, like it. Yeah. It is very plot driven, but the characters are really well-rounded and accessible. So I think it, yeah, I think it's, I like it. So <laughs> it's good. And he's the nicest man. So, yeah. Lovely. Yeah. It's always nice. Um, it is. So, before we sign off, um, I did want to say we got some listener feedback, which we always appreciate. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. And uh, one of the things that was requested of us is that we give more uh, recommendations for books that we like. Um, But because we're not, like, really exactly, like, a recommendations podcast, we decided to, like, tell it slant so next time, we're going to talk about books that changed our lives. So it's mm. like disguised recommendations, right? Subtle, Isn't that what don't we tell anybody. They're sneaking yeah, sh- in under the radar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're in a trench coat and a hat. 
And they're going to sell videotapes out of the lapels. Amazing. I'm sold for this. (laughs) So uh, we're looking forward to that. So if that's something that you were interested in, be sure to. Yeah, do join us. Yeah, be sure to subscribe so that you get uh, your podcast hot off the press. And Mm -hmm. however you get podcasts, we'll be there. Um, we want to thank y'all for listening. Thank, thank you. you to our sponsors who are amazing and make all of this possible. And don't forget to tell your friends about us. Um, where can they find you, Louise? So you can find me online. I have uh, my website is didyouoverstoptothink.com. And you can also find me on Twitter at chaletfam. And you can find me, that's Mary Kay, at MaryKayMcBrayer.com. But I'm also on Twitter at MKMcBrayer and Instagram at MaryKayMcBrayer. So it's really like, don't overthink it. Just type in my name and I'll pop up. <laughs> You'll find <laughs> us. Yeah, and we do love hearing from y'all. So if you feel like throwing us a line, definitely do it on any of those uh, social media. We're, especially because we're social distancing on there like all the time. So we'll be here. Yeah. We're there. <laughs> Yeah, thank y'all so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Fab, thanks. Bye. Bye.